It's go time. BC Lions have made some news. It's worth discussing. At some point, I hope we don't have to anymore. And there's been some more signing going on in the CFL, and we'll definitely get to that. Hi, everybody. Don Charbon along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham. Welcome to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. Tanya Walter is now a defensive line coach with the British Columbia Lions, the first one in CFL history to get that position. She's got a lot of pedigree in terms of her football acumen. The Lions have done the right thing. You're right, Don, and I like your point that it is newsworthy now, but hopefully not too far in the future. It won't be newsworthy anymore. It is groundbreaking, and it's great to see a team and a league willing to embrace women in some of these positions, as well as other minorities into some head coaching positions, things like that. So nothing but positive in my mind for the the league and Kudos to the BC Lions for giving her an opportunity. I can't agree more. And and when you look at where Tanya Walter has come from, she is a coach that has earned this position. And I have no doubt in my mind that she's going to step forward and do an amazing job for BC. I, my hope is she's in the league for many years to come. Yes, she played football herself. She was a guest coach with the uh, junior football Edmonton Huskies, as well as an assistant with the West Edmonton Raiders uh, girls tackle team. But she's got more than that in her vitae, and I think the Lions saw that. I I just, it's the same thing with the term African-American or black. Why do we have to have that adjective ever? The person is a person. It doesn't matter. Everybody should have an equal opportunity to be a coach at any level. I, I hate that adjective. Just say, Michael Clemens is the president of the Toronto Argonauts. Do I have to say he's a black president? No, he's Michael Clemens. That's what matters. So the same thing I hope at some point with female coaches in the Canadian Football League that we just say Tanya Walter was hired today as defensive coach for the... Absolutely. And and what I've heard in listening to others talk about Tanya Walters is that her work ethic is second to none. Her preparedness to get her players ready and coached is going to be outstanding. And my hope is that we see not just Tanya, but many more fine coaches, regardless of where they come from, that are stepping into the league and doing a fantastic job and hopefully moving on to coordinator positions and head coaches as well. Joanne Pollock was the first woman that really broke through that barrier, becoming the general manager of the Ottawa Rough Riders from 1989 to 1991. Very trying times for the Rough Riders in their existence because they had come off so many losing seasons and during her tenure, they did bring in Damon Allen to be their quarterback. The team did have an upswing, but they just never seemed to translate that as far as they needed to to get to uh, East Final. And by 1996, well after she was gone, the, the team ultimately folded. Because of what she was able to do in, a, in almost an impossible situation, I would have thought at that time that we would have seen more coming along. We haven't. The NFL, to its credit, have had over a dozen women coach or intern with National Football League teams. Hopefully that becomes more commonplace. And again, the adjective is dropped. There's still work to be done, but 
I can remember when female reporters were allowed in professional sport locker rooms for the first time. So that's not that long ago. I was probably in my teens when that happened. And the ability for those reporters to break through that barrier was huge in the advancement of more female sports journalists, which you see now headlining sports shows on the major networks, sideline reporters in both the CFL and NFL regularly. So we've come a long way in that aspect and it doesn't seem to be as big of a deal anymore. And with this hiring of Tanya Walter, hopefully we're on our way to seeing that in more coaching positions. We've seen some on-field officials, which is a huge breakthrough as well. And we're well on our way. The better for us all if everyone gets to participate. Speaking of participation, we've had some more signings in the Canadian Football League. Do we start with Edmonton or do we end with Edmonton? Because it seems as though Chris Jones, wherever he goes, the news follows. I think we start and the reason for that is a signing that they're bringing Deron Carter in as a defensive back again under Chris Jones's tutelage. I think that one is definitely newsworthy and worth a bit of a discussion. Is it though? Like, this is Deron Carter. I, I do not see Deron Carter as being a defensive player that's going to come in and light up the league. <laughs> to me, at some point, Chris Jones needs to move on from some of these players that he's bringing back from, let's be honest, obscurity, to give them a shot again in the CFL. I don't know that it, Deron Carter ever went into that realm of obscurity. He did become a coach in Florida of a high school football team. Jones went on a recruiting mission to go get him, according to Three Down Nation, and those guys rarely get it wrong. And it was no surprise to me that we heard the announcement that Deron Carter had signed to come back to Canada and join Chris Jones in Edmonton. They had a special relationship in Saskatchewan. They really worked uh, sort of a, I don't know, a mentorship where Carter and him, Jones, would spend a lot of time going through the finer points of not only the game, but what do you want to bring? What, where do you want to go? And there was a lot of uh, discussion trying to get uh, Deron Carter to a place where he felt he could really succeed. It didn't work out in Saskatchewan. Lots of reasons behind that. We don't have to get into that. They've been well chronicled. That he's back in the CFL, it certainly is going to draw more eyes to Edmonton. It's going to draw a lot of questions in terms of, will he actually be a defensive back? Are they going to try to work him into the offense? Is he going to be on the return team? Is he going to be on the, on the punt block team? There's, he's a multi, multi, multi-talented player. He brings a lot of options for the Edmonton Elks. He has had success as a defensive back in only six starts as a defensive back. He has two interception returns for touchdowns, which is phenomenal. I think he brings a lot of size that you don't often see in CFL defensive backs. He's got the hands. So not only is he a size guy, but he is somebody that's able to catch the ball and can lead to a lot of interceptions for Edmonton. I'm curious as well to see how long he stays strictly as a DB or if they start working him into that offensive scheme. And you're absolutely right, Don, a return guy. He could be dangerous on special teams as well. He's an outstanding athlete, and I agree with everything you're saying there. I guess my question is, is he worth 
bringing into a team because we know Edmonton's had some cultural issues before. Certainly when he played last with Saskatchewan, there were some issues between Deron Carter and other players on that team. If he was that outstanding of a defensive back, I'm questioning then why teams didn't go after him last year before Chris Jones does. Is it just that special relationship that's causing this to go? Or does he really have the ability to come in and, and truly help a team and be a team player? It does raise that question, but there could have been other mitigating factors, i.e. he was on the other side of the 49th. That means he would have to get fully vaccinated to come back to play. Uh, if that wasn't the case, maybe he just sent out uh vibe that he wasn't interested in coming back to football right now, that he wanted to pursue something else, which is totally within his jurisprudence. There's going to be some hesitation, I think, on some part of Elks fans when you see that Tremaine Washington, the person that led the team in interceptions, is now with the Ottawa Red Blacks. So you give up a guy that proved that he could play in Edmonton for a guy that's never played in Edmonton and has only played the position a few times. Is it a publicity move? No doubt. Is it a bona fide move? Most likely. The question to my mind is, and it's the old question that we have with every player being moved about, what's the patience line? How far, how long is it before you finally say, okay, enough's enough. This isn't going to work out. With Carter, at least you got options to move him somewhere else, offense or defense. And he might be a good fit if there's some injuries on that receiving core as well. It's a natural fit as opposed to trying to find somebody else or bring in somebody from the practice roster. Now all of a sudden you've got a guy that can play on both sides of the ball. And Pat, you mentioned the cultural fit situation in Edmonton. And let's not forget that Jamie Elizondo and Brock Sunderland, who were responsible for cutting a lot of these players that not, didn't fit in culturally, are now gone as well. So this is really Chris Jones's team and this is his chance to put a stamp on it. And if he feels confident in somebody like Deron Carter, there's got to be something that he feels is a, a right fit for the Elks. Chris Jones has his idea of what it is to be a football player. He also has his idea of what type of person he wants in that role and also the body type, et cetera, et cetera, for each position. We have recounted on this podcast, you go back to his first year in Saskatchewan, he basically gutted the teams, popular veterans, you name it, were all gone within a year. Team went three and 15. As time went on, they got better and better and better and then lost in an unbelievable East final. Otherwise, they could have been in the Grey Cup in 2017. There's more to it than meets the eye. Certainly, they have picked up some other players that they wanted from uh, Chris Jones's past, uh, Dion Lacey's over there, Ed Ganey's over there, Ed McConaughey Henry's over there. There's a, a lot of that Saskatchewan influence now moving to Edmonton. As Toronto has been raiding Calgary, Edmonton has been doing the same to Regina. Dakota Prukop, who was in Edmonton, now has found a home in Winnipeg as that elusive backup to Zach Kolaris. That's a great signing for Winnipeg. I agree. Sean McGuire has decided to pursue opportunities outside of football as, and has stepped away. So now you've got somebody who is a proven backup quarterback in the CFL, great in short yardage situations, which he was used quite often for in Edmonton. And that's exactly the kind of 
fit that Winnipeg was searching for in that backup quarterback role. To be able to get a player who understands the CFL, who can step right in and read a playbook and understand what's going on in the field, not only as a player, but also as someone who on the sideline can give feedback to Zach Caleros to enable him to be more effective. With Dakota Prukop, I think you get both of those things, the ability to play, but also to help and assist and be a second set of eyes understanding the CFL game. My sense of Prukop is that he's going to be a coach in the very near future. He's working his way toward that. He started to do some of that in Edmonton, and there was thought that maybe he would retire as a quarterback and become a coach. Now that he's in Winnipeg, it's a great situation for him not only to learn, but also to influence. And I think that the, the symbiosis that's available will help him in his transition as he moves towards most likely becoming a, a coach in the Canadian Football League. For Winnipeg, at least it addresses that massive need. They need a backup quarterback. Every team in this league needs somebody that's capable behind the starter. You're, you're really pushing your luck if you think that every starter in this league is going to play all 18. Absolutely. Teams have to have someone here. Dakota Prokop fills that gap for Winnipeg. And to me, that's that's one of their big signings. They haven't gone out and had a lot of signings, but certainly he's the big one to fill the gap that they truly had. Jordan Williams-Lambert, who not that long ago was the Rough Riders nominee for Outstanding rookie has now found his way over to the Calgary Stampeders, so he's gone from one team Dickinson to another team Dickinson. Calgary, who was quiet the first few days, as John Huffnagel claimed he didn't have enough money to go to McDonald's for a burger, has found a way to sign a few players in the last few days. And I imagine what they've managed to do, and this is the astuteness of Huffnagel, is that he's got them at a lower rate. We're reaching the point in this free agency now, the mad rush was in those first two or three days. The people that you knew would draw a lot of money got to weigh those options. The teams went after the guys they were really targeting. And now you're seeing that little bit of a trickle-down effect. You've got some guys now that they're maybe getting similar contracts, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less than they were with their previous team. And you've got to solidify yourself a job come this fall it is always nice to have a, a a backup because i'm not sure if he can necessarily break into the, the the top receivers the extra receiver might be williams lambert toronto signed the last vestige of the arbuckle trade chad kelly who's the nephew of jim kelly who used to play for the buffalo bills it's chad kelly right now and the law firm at quarterback for the argonauts is it enough? Do you think the Argonauts are going to be looking for another quarterback? I don't know who else is left as far as CFL experienced quarterbacks. There doesn't seem to be many left in that in that list of names. McLeod Bethel-Thompson, he's always that guy that's kind of good enough. And I, I don't certainly don't want to dismiss the success he has had in the CFL. But if I'm building a team... And looking for a starting quarterback, he is not probably in my, certainly not in my top five right now and sliding down the list in the top 10. We'll see what, what Chad Kelly has to offer and if he gets a solid opportunity to fight for that starting quarterback position or if this is truly McLeod, McLeod Bethel Thompson is the guy that Toronto is committed to going with. 
CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. The Toronto Argonauts, five of nine free agents were Calgary Stampeders. Corey Mace, defensive coordinator, the head coach, of course, Ryan Didwitty. There's a lot of Calgary influence, a lot of red in that uh, double blue. So, Don, are you implying that maybe if the Argonauts aren't happy with McLeod Bethel-Thompson that they take a run at Jake Mayer? That's a possibility. I don't know if Calgary would be that interested unless Bo Levi Mitchell is feeling very well and that shoulder of his is performing back to normal. Beyond that, I don't know. That's a great question because if you're Calgary, do you want to give up your future to Toronto? What would you get in return? That would be the other side of the question. They've already made a trade on defense with the Argonauts. Tough one. I don't think the Stampeders would be interested. I think Jake Mayer is the heir apparent in Calgary, and I don't think they're they're going to move away from that. It's interesting. We keep talking about McLeod Bethel-Thompson and the fact that we you know see him as not necessarily being the guy there, but when we take a look at his numbers, him throwing near three, or over 300 yards in most games... The question will be, does he have the offensive tools around him now with a running back like Andrew Harris to uh, play a different role than DJ Foster, who caught a lot of balls out of the backfield that will allow Bethel Thompson to take that next step and maybe be the guy that is going to be very successful in Toronto. McLeod Bethel Thompson has 56 games of CFL experience. 738 completions in 1,104 attempts, 8,530 yards, 47 touchdowns, 34 interceptions. Not numbers that'll necessarily blow you away, but like I said, he's that guy that's kind of good enough, and those numbers are right in line with what I'm saying. I think he's good for the team. He's a good quarterback, but he doesn't have that flash. He doesn't have that charisma that you would expect Compare him to Bo Levi Mitchell, to the now retired Michael Riley, Dane Evans and Hamilton, a little bit more in your face that they're out there. They're they're willing to to lay it on the line. It will be interesting because I do think Toronto has an opportunity to, to step up into that position where they could be the top team in the East, particularly if McLeod Bethel-Thompson and the offense can put the points on the board because I do think their defense is pretty solid. What what in Toronto don't you want? They finished first. They lost the East Final on a bad second half. The Argos were that close to being in that Grey Cup last year. They've brought in 10 players again this year. And some great players out of that 10. The other big newsmaker was Brandon Banks, who was let go by the Hamilton Tiger Cats, has gone up the 401 and wound up in Toronto to play with the Argonauts. We... On this podcast, didn't think it would be very long before he would sign, and we thought it would be out east. This is the MVP from a couple of years ago. <laughs> He's other than a couple of injuries last year that really stunted his performance. I think he's still got a lot in the tank, and I think the uh, Argonauts are are going to reap the benefits of having him around. I think this is great for the league to have someone move just down the road. So we can have that bit of a rivalry. I know we often decry the fact that when people move teams, we kind of lose that. But when you're just moving down the road, it can set up that rivalry to be even 
better than it is because you can highlight these players who played in Hamilton, now moving to Toronto. And I think it's going to be very exciting when those two teams come together, both in Hamilton and in Toronto. I'm always a little bit bothered by fan reaction in some of these free agent moves. And Brandon Banks is a prime example of that where there's a lot of negative social media chatter about him being a traitor and they can't believe that he's gone to play for the Argos. And I think fans need to step back for a moment and look at the whole situation. It wasn't entirely his decision to step away from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. That organization had to make some choices as well. So can you blame a guy for going out and getting a job? And and obviously he has a chip on his shoulder and something to prove. And it's a similar point with another Argonaut signing in Andrew Harris. He left Winnipeg. It wasn't the right fit anymore. They had two young up-and-coming running backs that they felt strongly about. Andrew Harris strongly believes he's got one more good season in him and also has found a new home in Toronto. And you add Ja'Garrett Davis into the mix there as well. And that's three key star veteran players that have found a new home in Toronto. I can certainly understand Andrew Harris's frustration. I believe he wanted to stay a bomber. He came home to deliver a great cup championship. He delivered two and it was a key a key part of both of those victories. So it's going to leave a little bit of a bitter taste in his mouth, but I don't think we're ever going to learn the entire story of what went down. And I've spoken numerous times on this podcast, how I believe that he wasn't a financial fit for Winnipeg and the organization believed the same way. I think we often see veteran players, particularly in the last few years of their career, when they've committed to a team, when they've given it, they're all sometimes played through injury it hurts because you've been the star. You've been the the guy, the man that they're going to. And when they no longer want you, change isn't easy for anyone. And if you do think you have something in the tank, I think that does bring some talking points, certainly, if not excitement, to the opportunity that we're going to see when these teams get back together. Andrew Harris, he had his hopes. That's his team. That's his hometown team. He's from there. He wanted to finish his career there. When you see that erode in front of you, it does start to develop some bitterness within your view of what's going on. And I think there could be an edge to Harris, not that he needs to play with one anyway, but there will will likely be an edge in Toronto, regardless of who he plays. The Bombers go there once. That game in Toronto could be interesting. All these games are going to be interesting when players who've gone to different teams come back. And that is the CFL right now where we stand. There's a lot of movement Uh, A lot of people decry it, but for me, we've been talking about it for a number of weeks. It brings excitement to the league in the offseason, and when they get back together, it does give you the talking points, the drama, the ability to say this is the return of this former star who is now in a different situation in a different place. And, And to me, that's what makes the game fun. It happens in every league that veterans of a team eventually find that they're no longer welcome or that the team has other plans and that they don't fit. We on this podcast have had a lot to chew on because the numbers of free agents relative to the numbers of teams seem so large. Think about the NFL and how many free agents they have every season. Because it's spread out over so many more teams, it doesn't seem to be as big an impact. That's a very good point. And you're right. It just seems if you look at the percentage of each team though we're looking at probably between 
25 and 50 percent turnover on any given team which does seem pretty substantial and one team that has certainly taken that to heart this year is the Ottawa Red Blacks who continue on a free agent spending spree this week signing defensive back Tremaine Washington and wide receiver from Montreal BJ Cunningham so they are looking to completely retool that team so if you bought a Red Blacks jersey last year you're probably changing the name on the back for this season. Sean Burke taking over in Ottawa was not going to sit tight and say, well, this is wonderful. We were the last place team in the East. We'll just take our time and do something about this. He had a lot of allegiances from players that played in Hamilton. So he knew he could get a couple of them across. The other thing that worked out well was that he managed to pick over Montreal. He got Patrick Levels and Mondrashik or Money Hunter. As you mentioned, BJ Cunningham. The Alouettes took a bit of a beating as well, uh, Ty Cranston went over. So it wasn't only the Ty Cats that Burke found people that were amenable. So the Alouettes are going to have to retool. And this is going to be interesting for them to see what they decide to do because their defense, is, especially their secondary, is going to be vastly different than what it was when it left the field in Hamilton in the playoffs last year. It is. And their defense wasn't always Montreal's strength. So the opportunity to put a new defensive backfield in particular, as you mentioned, Don, together, that's going to have some success. We know Montreal will put up points. The question is, can they stop the points now, given that you're going to have a new defensive backfield? So both in Montreal, where you have that, and in Ottawa, training camp's going to be an interesting situation where you bring a bunch of players together. You're going to have to introduce names. There's not going to be that culture tying over. So... The coach has the opportunity to build something new potentially again here. The Elks are also facing that same dilemma where of the players that were here that created a 3-11 and record, how many do you want to keep? The BC Lions, the other team that didn't make the playoffs, made a lot of changes. Everybody wants to be competitive in this league. It's not like one team wants to take a year off. They're all going for it every year. And where you see that, I think, as well, what you're talking to, Don, is in a team like Calgary, who's still a relatively young team. They had a bit of a rebuild, but they're moving in the right direction. And we see their GM, Huffnagel, feeling very confident about the players he have moving forward. But even with him, he's going to have some holes to fill. Now, he's got Cam Judge coming in, probably replacing Corey Greenwood's position. But he did lose linebacker Darnell Sankey to the Rough Riders. A rookie linebacker at that who was outstanding, but Hoffnigel's the type of guy who should be able to find someone who's going to step in. We've seen that consistently in Calgary when the next players ask to step up, they seem to up their game and be successful. So they must feel fairly confident in letting Sankey go. They weren't going to break the bank and Hoffnigel never really has put out big money for free agents, rather relying on the system he has in place to bring those new people in. And it's not going to happen only there. Ottawa has signed all these people. My guess is there's going to be some rookies coming into Ottawa that may take the place of some of these big names and allow teams like Ottawa or other teams to potentially trade some of these big name veterans to fill other gaps they may have. Well, we thought that of Toronto last year and it never really happened. The only player that got traded was Nick Arbuckle, the quarterback, and that was it. Everybody else unless they were injured, played the season there in Toronto. And I don't think that Ottawa is looking to sign them to trade them. Ottawa is looking to change the team. In some cases where you had a player like um, Charleston Hughes, Toronto opted to let him sit rather than trading him. Or did they throw him out as trade bait and really no one wants some of those veterans because they feel the younger people they have are worth investing more time? So you're right. 
they may not ever trade. But some of those veterans may slowly move to the side as well when other rookies or younger players step up and show that they deserve an opportunity. The one part of the defense that always is interesting to watch develop is the defensive backfield. For every veteran like a Delvin Burrow or a Brandon Alexander, you've all of a sudden got some fresh blood coming in every year in those defensive back positions. We saw it work out very well for Winnipeg last year with with two all-star rookie defensive backs. So we, we, we talk a little bit about uh, a team losing five of their defensive backs in free agency. There's always seems to be somebody willing to step up and it's, it's fun to watch, see some of these new guys come into the league. Some of them are here for a very short time and some of them will develop into more of those career CFL DBs like, like Delvin Bro has. We look at Saskatchewan. They lose Ed Ganey, defensive back. They lose Lucius Purifoy, defensive back. Kevin Francis, defensive back. Eli Buka, defensive back. That's four. Now, not all of them were starters, but they all played. Nick Marshall and Ed Ganey were side-by-side for years. Now Nick Marshall looks to his inside towards the, the hash marks, and there's going to be somebody different there, and the communication lines are going to be different. The understandings are going to be different. Anytime you change that kind of chemistry... It's going to take an adjustment period. Absolutely will. And the question is, how quick can they gel? How quick can the team work together? We've seen that happen, particularly in the cornerback position, where a cornerback maybe doesn't gel quickly and they get burned a little bit and they're only there for a couple of games. But when the cornerback gels well with that defensive halfback and they're able to shut down the opposing defense or at least show growth from game to game, they have an opportunity to go beyond that. And the key is, can you get it fast enough to to, to win the games you need to do to get into the playoffs and then succeed beyond that. And a, a big part of it is who you've got. You need to have a veteran presence back there to almost as much as the middle linebacker seems to be the the general of the defense. You need somebody in that backfield that can be a, a captain or a major to steer that ship. And you look at, you, you talked about Saskatchewan, and you look at Montreal, they've lost Ty Cranston, Patrick Levels, Money Hunter, Taekwon Glass, Jermaine Ponder. So that's five DBs for them as well. So the question to me isn't necessarily how everybody's going to gel, but who is going to be back there to lead? It, that's a great question, actually, when you think of the turnover, because you remember Rob Vanstone talking about how defense is king in the Canadian Football League. When you've only got three downs to make 10, defenses, if they know what they're doing, will win the day more times than not. It's just so curious that we see so much change in defense, but maybe that's a function of the precedence of defense. That's a good point. I guess we will see what happens, but to me, it's exciting because these teams have an opportunity to try out new players, to bring some youth in. To be a DB, you have to be either incredibly smart with the knowledge of the game and you're going to be in the right place to make the play, or else you have to be incredibly athletic so that you can overcome the times when you're not in the right place. I will take brains over athletics at corner any day. Offensive line is the other aspect of this game that really has to gel when you think about it, right? We talked about the Rough Riders last year, but let's look at Calgary. They've been they've lost a couple of offensive linemen to free agency. You've got to get that group to get together to be on the same page. And if they're not working together in unison, that quarterback pays the price. They do. That's a key part of why Winnipeg was successful over the last two seasons is they had a very solid offensive line and an offensive line that had been together for a number of, of seasons as well. And that was why it was such 
a big point for Kyle Walters and his group to get that offensive line back as best they could. Now, they lost one player to the NFL. Other than that, they've got all of their starting offensive linemen back as well as a couple of their backups. So they obviously see it as a huge importance for that team. And we're seeing that Saskatchewan seems to be wanting the group that they've had in place to kind of have a couple more years together and develop as a whole unit. And uh, we'll see how that turns out for them. But there, as we I mentioned last week, there are not a lot of big name free agent offensive linemen out there to move around to help plug those holes if you have some need for offensive linemen. If there was one position that seemed to be gobbled up prior to free agency, it was offensive line. There were very few that were going to be available. There aren't many players available, and, and it, it makes you wonder if some of the ones who've gone to the NFL, like uh, the Cats offensive tackle Jordan Murray, who didn't get any guaranteed money from the Indianapolis Colts, are, when those guys come back, is there going to be a bit of a bidding war And if they come back? In this case, when he doesn't get upfront money, the chance of making the team may not be as plausible as someone who's getting that bonus. So when he comes back, the teams that are struggling are going to potentially be looking for that tackle and may want to lay out a bit of money for him. If someone like Jordan Murray shows up on your doorstep, do you have anything left to pay him? There are some teams, let's say Ottawa, for example, that may not have any money left because they they sort of spent their money already. They went out and picked the team that they wanted through free agency as it was. There are other teams that didn't spend money, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, Calgary, that may have opportunity for him to find a home. To me, teams with a real need also may consider letting someone go. If you've had a receiver who's, you know, you've got a a high paying receiver, but you've got another receiver who's close to that and could step up, do you free up some salary cap by letting go of that higher paid receiver so you can make a play on that? And it's going to depend on what level of need you have at the point when some of those players will come back from NFL tryouts. It's finding that balance here, right, of weighing your options, what's more valuable to you. A high paid receiver who can potentially turn a game around. But if you've got somebody capable of stepping in there, then you have to spend that money on your offensive line to protect the quarterback and really build a foundation for a successful team. What Winnipeg proved last year is if your quarterback has time, he can throw it to just about anybody he chooses. Yeah, it seems to be a formula that Winnipeg is sticking with. Like we said, with the loss of Darvin Adams and the loss of Kenny Lawler, it's kind of a a committee of quality but not necessarily game-breaking receivers that has been the formula for the Blue Bombers. Which is better? Develop a team through free agency because you've got talent and it's immediate and it's ready or developing through the draft and taking your time with younger players? It does take time if you throw money at free agents and bring people in from all over the league and from south of the border, etc. It takes a lot of time to build a system that they're all comfortable in and to all find their way in gel as teammates. So I I can't imagine what the free agency board must have looked like in Ottawa. They must have been pulling names from everywhere and seeing who they can get. But now the job is for Paul Apolise and his coaching staff to build an offense, build a defense, and build a special teams scheme that's going to utilize all these players to the best potential and turn that team around from where they were a year ago. We talked last year about how tight it was going to be in the East. And when the season finally ended, there was hardly anything between the top three teams. Ottawa wants to get into that conversation. The question is, have they done it with who they picked up? 
it certainly looks like they've got the names to do it. It's just a matter of how well those names all fit together. The pickup of Jeremiah Mazzoli, I think it was the biggest move in free agency by any team this year. It was a, a dire need for the Ottawa Red Blacks. And now they're looking at everybody else they're bringing in to work with Jeremiah Mazzoli. Like I said, they've got names. They've got 18 free agents that they've brought in already at this point, And I don't think they're done yet. I do recall having the same conversation last year with Toronto, who brought a bunch of big name free agents together. And we were questioning how quick can they gel? How quick will they do this? And, you know, at the beginning of the year, we didn't see them gel. But again, we did not have uh, a full training camp, which we should have this year, where players can understand the systems potentially a bit better and maybe hit the field running as opposed to learning on the go where they did last year. So I think Ottawa is already in a better position than Toronto was last year, but we certainly saw Toronto get better throughout the year last year. If Ottawa has improved as much as I have an inkling they maybe have, if they gel well and get off to a good start, 10 and 8's going to win the East, and then it's going to be very close between the rest of those teams. It's We knew coming down to the end of the 2021 season, if a couple of games had gone a little bit differently in those last two weeks, there would have been a three-way tie atop the East. And it's not far-fetched to think that there might only be two or three games separating top from bottom of those four teams this year. And you could almost say that about the West. I I don't know about Edmonton. I'm going to hold judgment on them. But the other four, it wouldn't surprise me if three to four wins separate one through four. We'll see how free agency develops and into the preseason. For me, BC is a little bit of a question mark right now as well. We know it's a huge hit to lose Michael Riley. We'll see what Nathan Rourke brings to the table. In my opinion, it's the the three teams that finished in the top in the West last season are the front runners again this year. We've now got a new leadership group in Edmonton. We've now got some big names signed in BC. And you're right, that could close that gap pretty substantially. I don't believe that Winnipeg will have the dominant runaway West Division this year that they had in 2021. I think that gap is closing a little bit on them as well. So I I hope so. I I love the parity of the league and you want to see competitive and meaningful games right down to the final wire. I love those playoff scenarios where if Team A loses to Team B, Team C all of a sudden finishes in first place and hosts a playoff game. If there's only one thing that you can ask of any season is that all nine teams have a chance to be in the Grey Cup. And I think in 2022, we may have that. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching.